What is going on? Almost Canoners, almost Canaanites, you know, whatever you want to call yourselves. <laughs> I don't care. So, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world today. Um, and I just want to bring a little more crazy into your life. So tonight is actually a very special night for Almost Canon. I, I feel like we have reached some sort of milestone. Um, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest uh, right now. So, yeah, let's get into it. So tonight we have a very special treat for all you Almost Canon listeners out there. Our guest is an author from the heart of Vermont. He's penned over 20 published books, both fiction and nonfiction, works such as uh, Shadow Child, Green Mountains, Dark Tales, The Vermont Ghost Guide, and The Vermont Monster Guide, and one of my personal favorites, Weird New England, and so many more. He's worked diligently over multiple decades, chronicling not only the scary, spooky, and mysterious wonders of Vermont, but also of all New England. He is a man who almost needs no introduction. He is a Vermont treasure a paranormal staple. He is Joseph Citro. Okay, fire away. Where do you want to start? Yeah, so I figured we would start with what got you into paranormal. <laughs> well, I, it, it's it's pretty hard to pinpoint because, um, you know, it started long before I ever started writing. Um, and I think I think maybe it started with my father because he, he sort of was fascinated with local lore, and um, he knew a lot of the spooky stuff that went around, mm. went on where I live and where he, where he lived when I was a kid. So it, it probably started there, but there were other other things that sort of fed into it. And um, you know, sometime I I really think I should write about that. You know, I did I, I did write a, a memoir that came out in uh, came out last year. But I didn't get into any of the analytical stuff about why I write about what I do. I didn't get into like any of the seeds of the weirdness. So, so I, I think that would be something worth thinking about, maybe worth writing about. I don't know. Anyway, I, I was always interested in mysteries and, and uh, I read a lot of mystery stories and horror comics and stuff like that when I was a kid. That was all programming into it. And, um, I was sort of when I, when I was young, I was sort of coerced into participating in the Catholic Church. Mm. I think that messed me up pretty good. <laughs> and uh, you know, there's a, but uh, on the good side, there's a lot of mysticism and supernatural um, lore in the church, and I think it sort of whetted my appetite for that. So there, there you have it. Um, we used to go when we drive from. To Rutland, and we'd go by the the uh, Bowman Mansion in Cuttingsville, and that triggered something. I, I don't know exactly what, but uh, I was just fascinated by the lore my father shared about the Bowman Mansion, how this uh, 
you know, this reclusive millionaire was using his fortune, trying to bring his his family back from the dead. And, um, you know, and that's that's the story. It's probably pretty far from true. But when I was a kid, my father was telling me this stuff. So I I sort of believed it. And I hadn't developed any critical sense about it yet. So, and that story just fascinated me. And beyond that, my friend, I don't think I can come up with any real useful psychoanalytic uh, answer to your question. It just started when I was a kid and, and, and it's still with me. I, I guess um, I didn't start writing until I was probably older than you are. I think I was around 40 when I started um writing and oh, wow. um, you're not 40 yet are you no 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 yeah, what are you about 30 yeah yeah 32 yeah yeah well uh and you started writing already so you got a head start oh tried <laughs> well it's not easy and it's it's um don't let anyone tell you it is because it ain't right I, that um, I first started writing novels. That's what was really interesting to me because I wanted to adapt these these stories, um, these local stories, horror stories, you might call them. I wanted to adapt those as novels, and my 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 I was fascinated by them. First of all, there were stories that, in a sense, were already written, and I figured I could adapt them for a modern audience and tell those stories and keep them alive as fiction. But while I was writing about those, I kept picking up more stories. And, and eventually the, you know, I just knew that there, I wasn't, I was, I was getting so many stories that I knew I wasn't gonna be able to keep up. So I decided I would put the, put the fiction aside mm. and collect the stories because no one else had ever done it. It was, you know, it was a, a field, a field, field that was empty, a clear horizon. So I started uh, in 1994. My first novel, my my last novel came out in 1994, and in 1994, my first collection of weird Vermont tales came out. So that was the the point at which everything changed. Was that the uh, the ghost guide, right? No. Oh no, that the, the very first one was one called um Green Mountain Ghosts oh, right. yes. and Unsolved Mysteries. Um and that was published by uh, was co-published by um Vermont Life magazine and a small local publisher called Chapters Publishing. Both have since gone out of business. I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> um <laughs> I don't think. I, I, I um, but now that book is being published by Houghton Mifflin out of out of Boston, and it's still in print after all these years. It's amazing, but it's still with us. So you, just from what I got out of that, you like the the scary stuff, right? Yeah, um, scary stuff. It it doesn't necessarily have to be scary, but it has to be in some way unsettling or mysterious. I, li I like mysteries, um, things that don't have an easy answer. Right. Um, but I think the, you know, horror and scary might not be the best way to describe it because some of it is just, you know, just historical oddities and puzzles and, and things like that. Um, treasure stories. I mean, there's nothing particularly 
horrific about treasure stories, but those mm. those fascinate me. Yep. I kind of wanted to go over, I started this by wanting to go over the Vermont Monster Guide. Um, yeah, okay. And then it, it kind of expanded from there to asking you about some things from the, the weird New England. The Monster Guide was, um, it's, I, I, I can't remember exactly the sequence, but I was, I was working with Steve Bissett and uh, I, th I think doing the monster guide was his idea. He he likes monsters, and he's been drawing monsters since he was a kid. You know, right up into Swamp Thing and Taboo and comic book series called Tyrant. I mean, he just loves to draw monsters, and he still does. And he said, "Let's do a book about monsters." And I said, "But Jesus, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's enough monsters in in Vermont to fill a whole book." And he said, I, I, bet there, I bet there are. I think you've probably written about enough of them uh, in your various books. And if you just pull those together, we'll have a book. And I pulled those together and I jumped into the research and pulled out a few more. And, and eventually we, we had enough to publish the Vermont Monster Guide. And again, it's a first. Nobody else has ever done such a thing. I mean, it's, it's not super crazy, you know, in-depth. But it's a book that my kids like, yeah. you know, they'll just pick it up and flip through it. I mean, I, I've flipped through it a hundred times. It's, it's a great, great little guide. Um, but I think, you know, when I look at it um, as a, as a thing accomplished, it occurs to me that it, it includes sort of a continuum of monsters that starts on one end is, you know, completely ridiculous. There's just no reason to invest any belief in this at all. Like the side hill crunchers, for example. Um, but then again, on the other end of the continuum, there's stuff that's almost real. You know, it, it, it we just lack a body, <laughs> right? Or reliable photographs, or something like that. That would include things like um, um, Bigfoot or Tramp or the various other possible water monsters. So it's the whole spectrum of Vermont monsters. I'm sure I've missed a few, but I. I don't know what they are. They're still in hiding. I know one that seems to be pretty popular now is the the pig man. Yeah. I know it's in the monster guide. There's a couple pages. And then within the weird New England book, there's even, you know, there's even more information. It seems to. Well, yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if you saw it or not, but around Halloween last year, the Burlington free press um, did a, an interview with me in print and as a video and they were claiming that you know i'm going to tell everything about the pig man i'm going to get behind the pig man give the whole story right and i did but they didn't print any of it oh, they man. just they, they they just printed the um the weird stuff and not the backstory a couple of things about the pig man i'll tell you i'll tell you where it started i was doing a a reading or a lecture down in, um, I, I don't know, maybe it was in Norwich or something like that, somewhere down in that neck of the woods. And this guy was sitting right up in the front row looking kind of, looking kind of antsy. And when I finished my presentation, he said, did you ever hear about the pig man? And I said, no, no, tell me everything. So he started rattling off a bunch of information, including names. And I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, why don't why don't you tell me about this privately? Because you know, I, I didn't, there was no way to assess 
the reality of what he was telling me, but he was using a lot of names, presumably of real people. Right. And I just wanted wanted him to proceed with caution. So we got together after that, and he told me the whole story of the pig man. And I, I um, dutifully took notes and recorded him. And I wrote the whole story at length in my book called uh, Green Mountain Ghosts, Ghouls, and Unsolved Mysteries. It was the first time anybody wrote about the pig man and the first anybody had ever heard of the pig man. Now, I, at the time, and since then, I've done a lot of research. Like this guy told me he was with uh, um, some other people who had seen the pig man. So I wanted to search for them and interview them. Well, no, no, he says, they've all left the area. You can't be in touch with them. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, I then moved on to the police because he he had a, a story about how the police were called and they showed up with, with shotguns and they were going to go out to the woods and find this pig man. So I, as it turned out, I I had a friend on the police department there. So I, 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 I talked to him and no, there was nothing in the records or the files or the office conversation about any pig man. He also told me there was some professor at Norwich University who had told him and his fellows that, um, that yeah, if a person, a feral person were living in the wild long enough, they might very well um, grow hair, grow long hair to protect themselves against the elements. I couldn't locate the professor. There was no, as far as I could find out, there was no such professor. So to make a long story short, I couldn't find any corroborating evidence. I'm not saying this guy did, I'm not saying this guy made up the story of the pig man. I'm not saying that, but I couldn't find any, any evidence other than what he told me that there really was a pig man. So I, I, I sort of now am coming down on the side of, well, it's a, like the story of freezing elderly people in northern Vermont. It's a story that started out as a tall tale and somehow got took root in mm -hmm. the folk culture and became a became a myth. We got a bunch of those around the state, starting with freezing the elderly people and Emily's Bridge mm -hmm. and and the Pigman. So the Pigman is a great story. It would make a great little indie horror film it might even be able to blossom into a kind of a spooky um ya novel or even adult novel possibly um but I, I i don't think you have anything to fear if you go poking around the devil's wash bowl in northfield i don't think you have anything to fear from a pig man so that's that's the whole story it's still a great story. Like, oh. It's a great story. And I would thank him for that. In fact, I, I'm, um, I'm going to be writing about that pig man again. And um, because we, Robert Brunel and I have just started what will become a series of books about Vermont weirdness. The first one, this is the first one. I don't think you can see that, but it just, just barely came out. Right. Yep. And, um, it's going to be the first of at least, I don't know, 10, maybe 13. And um, it's going to, it's going to, 
Well, it's kind of, I want to do with scary Vermont stories what Abby Hemingway did with with uh, Vermont history. She, you know, she pulled together this Vermont Gazetteer, which was like, I don't know, five, six, seven volumes of Vermont history, history of each town and each county. I mean, it was a monumental piece of work. And um, I'd, I'd like to do the same thing with Vermont's um, paranormal history or bizarre history, just a series of books that lay it all out. And the, 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 the historically accurate tales will be there and the fanciful tales will be there and the hoaxes will be there. Just a bunch of, uh, just lay it all out. And I reached out to this guy again, um, who had originally told me the pig man um, I, I wasn't able to reach him directly, but I reached reached out to him through his wife and said, I'd like to talk to him again so we can update the pig man's story. And she said, okay, well, I'll, I'll have, him, have him get in touch with you. Now, you suppose I've heard from him? No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't really tip my hand and say, I really want to um, set the record straight on this or anything, but it, there it is. Uh, there, there you go, Nick. That's that's the pig man story. Yeah, I mean, it's still one of my good favorites. Story. It's exciting. It's cool. And it, it, yeah. it, I mean, it's really, I don't know. You see it on, you even see it on TV now. Like it's. Oh, I know. But you know what they don't do? They don't reach out to me to talk right. about it. Oh. That's what I'd be telling them. <laughs> right. Yeah. They just want the, the juicy yeah. details. So I figured from there. Another monster you have in the in the monster guide would be the werewolf. Seems to be like a northern Vermont thing. Yeah, I don't have a lot of information about that. I I, I was interviewed by of all places, Playboy magazine <laughs> about 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 Vermont werewolves, <laughs> and I, I I told him that you know probably the stories were alive and kicking in the logging camps back in the day. But uh, mo most likely those werewolf stories came from France right. and were told among the uh, French Canadian loggers. I haven't been able to discover any really well-documented werewolf stories. Right. Um, I, I, I've looked, God knows I've looked, I can probably find that article from Playboy and send it to you if you're interested. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'm not sure I can do. I can find it, but I, I may have it. I, I I the guy the guy interviewed me via email, so I and he was sending questions and I was sending back responses to him. So I may have that transcript somewhere, but I can. I mean, if you're interested, I can see if I can find it. Um, uh, in short, we do not have a a strong tradition of werewolf tales in Vermont. Right. Yeah, I mean, I've looked and really it's just what what you've what you have found. But I know that that there's this this creature that they they've been calling the dog man. I don't know how how much you know I've heard about this, but he seems to be the new Bigfoot. Uh -huh. um, he's kind of, you know, he's taken over the the paranormal scene. There's this man, this guy, he lives in Vermont. Uh, his name's Dave Lighty. I don't know if you if you ever got in contact with him. I'm not in touch with him. No. Um, but he have had, you talked to him? I have, yeah. He's had like a, weir a werewolf encounter in, or he called it a dog man. 
in uh, I think it was like North Carolina. Um, and now he lives in Vermont and he's, he's, you know, he's told me some things about, you know, he's got some property way up by the Canadian border, but I haven't, right. I haven't really talked to him a whole lot about it. Um, I've been in, you know, I've emailed him several times and I'm hoping to get him on, but, uh, yeah, I know, I know a little bit about it. I used, I used to know the, the woman who just brought that out, um, and and wrote the beast of gray road yeah linda godfrey godfrey right and um and, and she just passed away alas um but anyway she she did a lot of research and i think she was pretty convinced that people believed what they were seeing mm -hmm. um, but i don't think she ever saw one no i don't think she did either but yeah it, it it's interesting how it connects a lot to the the uh the french canadian uh the i think they call it the the rougarou or Rougarou. Yeah. Um, i think they say they call it both but it's really l-o-u-p oop meaning wolf right um do you see that there's any essential difference between a werewolf and a dog man i think the the consensus is is the dog man it can't transform between like a person and you know the wolf creature it's it's more like a wolf that's able to to walk on two feet you know get up and a lot of times they people have said when it gets up you can hear like the joints popping and cracking into place i read linda godfrey's book years ago and i i don't i don't have very very sturdy recall of it right now but i i'm pretty sure she talked about people seeing it wearing clothing which was puzzling to me and made me made me think werewolf but right yeah i've i've heard those stories too which makes me think like maybe they're two different things or i've i haven't really read a whole lot of her her stuff just kind of like poked around a little bit you know what about this guy in northern vermont dave i haven't really talked to him a whole lot about it and i'm trying to get him on the show he he owns a store you know and he's got you know, I don't even know how many hundreds of these snowmobilers, you know, pass through his store and he's heard stories and I don't know how much I want to get into it, but um, his his encounter from North Carolina is pretty well known. He's on a lot of TV shows, but yeah, he says he's got them up there. Do you remember what town it's in? Yeah, I got it. I know it's in Essex County. I, I'm just curious. Oh, of course, I exit out of it. It's in Essex County. I want to say... um. Just kind of curious, um, because maybe that's a Vermont monster I've missed, you know? Right, Norton. I, Norton, yeah. That's way up by the Canadian border. Right. There's the answer right there. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's it's the, the stories that I'm interested in. I, I if, if he's got a good story about a Vermont monster, that would be great. Yeah, I mean, he said he would come on. He's, he's definitely said that they're up there. Um. I wasn't really planning on bringing this up, but this this is where I always kind of like start when I stop, you know, is, is this real or not? I always remember this. So I'll just go over it really quick here. And it so it was hunting season 2017. I'm, I'm going up. I, my grandparents, they own a bunch of land uh, in Rockingham on Mount Ephraim. Mm. Uh, so I always hunt there and it's just me and this one other guy. We're the only ones who ever go up there. And uh, 
So I was going up into the woods and he was coming down out of the woods and he looked, he looked scared, like something had happened to him. So I, I asked him, I said, you know, what's what happened? And he said he was sitting behind a rock and this bobcat just charged out of the woods and it jumped over the rock and took off. And I was like, oh, wow, that's weird. Didn't think anything of it. And I kept going up into the woods. And as I'm getting further up, I'm hearing this weird turkey sound, like this turkey call. But it, it wasn't a turkey. Like it was something trying to sound like a turkey. And as I got closer, you know, it it started sounding more like a grunt and a growl. And then right out of finding Bigfoot, there were these tree knocks. There were four of them. It was like boom, 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 boom. And then, I don't know, this weird feeling came over me as I was getting closer to where the sounds were coming from. And I was just like, I got to get out of here. I mean, I had my rifle, my handgun. And I still was like, yeah. this is, you know, I got to go. And that's my weird story. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, who knows? And I think you probably did the right thing to get out of there because if you had come face to face with a Bigfoot, you would be in an impossible dilemma. It's kind of human-like. So do I shoot it or do I do I run away or what do I do? So I probably best not to, not to deal with it at all. That's probably right. what I would have done too. It's definitely something I'll always remember. Well, I, I, I think... You know, the, one of the things that's likely to keep this interest alive in both of us is not just the colorful stories, but also every now and then something happens like that that keeps the curiosity alive. I mean, I've had weird things happen to me, too, and um, things that I can't explain. And um, I'm, I'm not quick to leap to supernatural explanations, but um, at the same time, well, I, you know, for example, I, I, um, you lived in Chester for a while, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I, I still live here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the chest, the inn in Chester, the Fullerton. Yep. Has long been believed to be haunted. Did mm -hmm. you know that? Yeah. I, I, I found that out from you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. When we were kids, we heard about it all the time, you know, we, and we, walked by there every day and we knew people that owned the inn and so we're you know that those stories were pretty pretty alive in our imaginations and later after i after i started publishing books i uh, had the chance to stay overnight in the inn once right um, all by myself and um the inn was closed for a couple of weeks between i don't know leaf leaf peeping season and ski season or something like that and everybody went on vacation except i was in town doing a reading and they let me stay there and i was all by myself in the building and i had brought my ghost hunting stuff you know i had a, a camera and a compass and a tape recorder and i don't know um a shotgun and <laughs> and um it was about about midnight and i started hearing weird noises up above me and I knew no, I was no one else was in the inn. The, the owner wasn't there. Nobody was there. Just me, and whatever was making that noise up above my room. And it occurred to me that it could be some of my friends because I grew up there, you know. And they may, maybe right. they come in and to spook me. But it was middle of the week. We were all adults. My the the friend who was most likely to do something like that would worked in Brattleboro, so he'd be getting up early the next morning to drive to Brattleboro. He's not going to be screwing around trying to scare me and I got really scared um I I didn't think I would 
I mean, I had my ghost hunting stuff and I was all ready to go out and find a ghost, you know, and and, and I, I, I got really scared and I, I did stay until morning. And after a while, the noises quieted down. What it sounded like was somebody pushing heavy cartons or trunks or something like that across a, a kind of a gritty wooden floor, if you can imagine that. Anyway, the next morning, um, a woman that worked for the inn came to let me out, you know, to <laughs> check me out, make sure I, and I, I told her, I said, I, I, no, about an hour, for about an hour or so, I was hearing intermittent noises up above here. Well, you know, what What could that be? And and she said, I don't know. Let's go up and have a look. So I, I followed her, up, her upstairs, and there was nothing over the room where I'd been staying. A hallway opened into a tiny linen closet, and in that linen closet, there was a a, a tiny door that was about three feet tall. I said, what's in there? And she said, I don't know. Let's have a look. So she opened this little door and we both peered in. And it was an unfinished attic with wide wooden planks on the floor and strewn all over the place were these, these cardboard boxes full of stuff like old ledgers from the from the inn and 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 cast off dishes that they probably used at one time as serving dishes. And I can't even remember books and other stuff, but they're all sort of sp spread helter-skelter around the floor. So they could have been moving, but then the question is what was moving them? So anyway, that that was really spooky. And that happened to me and I have no idea what, to this day, I can't explain what, what was causing those noises. Right. And I understand that the owners of the inn now don't, don't like to talk about it well the the person do you remember jack coleman when he owned the inn no um he, he owned he owned the inn and the, the the building where the bookstore is and the house next door hmm. um to the left of the bookstore if you're looking at the bookstore it's a house to the left and he he was the one that um, let me stay there and told me the stories of what had happened to him after he bought the inn and he was he was a retired university professor he was very much a scientific minded guy and he, he had he had always had this ambition to own a country inn and that's why he called it the inn at long last because at long last he had his inn and and he and he um was very much a skeptic but he had so many stories of weird things that happened after he bought the place that he he shared them with me and um, when he sold the inn, I can't remember who bought it from him, but they were they were my enemies. They were my instant enemies. And they were maligning me and saying that I had made up all the stories and it was in, the inn wasn't haunted, blah, blah, blah. So so I don't know. It's it's funny. The, there's so many haunted B&Bs and inns and, and hotels in the state. And for years and years and years, they, they would say, no, no ghosts. Then there, there's a big cultural shift, and 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 all of a sudden, um, the media was just crowded with all this paranormal programming, and inns and B and Bs were fighting with each other to see who could come up with the most lurid ghost story. So it was there was this big cultural shift into preternatural tourism or something. I don't even know what to call it, but um, um, it's still with us. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, ghosts are a, a topic that I haven't really got into on on the show. It's just something that I don't even. There's so many good ghost stories out there, but it. I've definitely had had something happen to me about ten years ago. It's just something I don't even really want to even, you know, talk about. I mean, it, it's not like super scary, but it's definitely like it was at the time. It was it was so I don't know. I'm so scared that I'm going to I can't believe you've covered all these topics. I'd be so worried that something was going to follow me home one night, you know? <laughs> well, there's still time. Right. Yeah. It's definitely a fear that I have. Like you know, I'm in the process of buying a house right now and I'm so worried that it's going to be haunted. It's my biggest fear. <laughs> It's it's well, it's a really dumb fear to have, especially when you're buying a house. I, I think but... chances are pretty good it won't be, but it could right. be. Could be. <laughs> Where's then... the house? Oh, it's in Bell's Falls. All um, right. Are you buying buying it through a realtor? No, it's kind of a family friend. Uh yeah. Well, you know, realtors are obliged to say if there's uh, in, right. any in, any history of hauntings or alleged hauntings attached to the the property right. so you you i don't know who you'd ask it's his i mean it's his childhood home he said it's not haunted but you know it, it is it's two houses down from a graveyard but <laughs> well that doesn't <laughs> if, if you were a ghost why would you stick around the graveyard right i'm sure it'll be fine well we we can get rid of it if it's right yeah so i guess to get back on topic while we have time one major thing I wanted to cover while I had you here was was the Bennington Triangle. Yeah, because uh, you're the the lore keeper of the triangle. <laughs> well, I I wrote about that in my very first collection of Vermont stories, and you know there were a lot of triangles back in those days. There was, of course, the um, there was a Bridgewater Triangle. Yep. And what's the most famous one? The Bermuda uh, Triangle. The Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. Yeah. So there's the Bridgewater Triangle, Bermuda Triangle. See, there are all these B words. Yeah. And, and so I just decided to call the, the weird stories collectively the Bennington Triangle. I mean, I just pulled it out of the air. Right. Um, but it's sort of caught on now. There's just, I mean, if you look up Bennington Triangle, there's like thousands of uh -huh. hits on, on, on Google, thousands. Yeah. So it, it sort of took off as a, because it, it's, it's a neat little phrase that suggests all sorts of weird things to people. That area is, I, I think if I were going to look for something weird in Vermont, that's probably where I'd go to look because. I've talked to so many people who've had um, experiences there or or who know, know stories about things that have happened to people there. There were all those disappearances back in the um, late 40s and early 50s. Um, there's no question that those happened, and there's no question that none of them have, have ever been solved. Right. And I'm, I'm not sure. I, I It's been a while since I've researched the the Bennington Triangle. So I sort of lost track of how many individuals have, have vanished up there. But I think there's more than the core five. Um, right. It might be worth looking into again at some point, I think, because that's a story that just won't go away. But it's the problem with that story at this point is that 
it's so well known that people will come from a distance to go up on the mountain, go up on Glastonbury Mountain. And, you know, they, 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 they want to come home with a story. So if nothing happens to them, it's like the fish that got away, you know, they um, should have seen it. It was that big. Um, <laughs> I, I, and so they'll, they'll, the place is so well known that anybody visiting it to see a ghost will see a ghost or, right. Right, but, but chances are they won't disappear. Uh, right. Right. So it, it, it too is a wonderful story. And I, I think there's something at the core the, 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 the disappearances are indisputable. You can't say they didn't happen. They did. People vanished. Right. And the the area has long been known as a as a haunted place. A few years ago, there was a whole bunch of Bigfoot sightings right around there. I talked to a guy who had dropped his daughter off at uh, what was Southern Vermont College. And he was driving back to, I think he lived in Winooski, and he was driving back. And as he was driving up Route 7, right, you know, kind of at the foot of Glastonbury Mountain, there's Bigfoot. I got to know this guy a bit. He was a, a regular Vermont hunting, fishing kind of guy. I mean, he wasn't going to confuse a, a Bigfoot and a bear. He wasn't going to make that right. mistake. You know, he was remarking how, how dangerous it was for somebody to be dressed up like Bigfoot walking around beside the road because, you know, people, people drive pickups with Mm -hmm. rifles in the back you know probably a lot of people wouldn't be as careful as you or i might they you know they it shoot the damn thing so i mean nobody is that stupid well maybe there are people that are that stupid you'd have to be pretty stupid to dress up like bigfoot and walk around beside the road oh yeah uh anyway i'm pretty convinced that this guy saw what he said he saw and so there you go yeah, I mean, that's that's something that with my own mysterious happening when I was hunting that I always think about, like, was it a Bigfoot? Who knows? Was it a person? Because there are uh, out-of-staters. They bought some property adjacent to my grandparents' property. And if, if that was another hunter, you know, making those weird sounds, he's he was awfully daring. Yeah. But who knows? I didn't see anything. Maybe it was a hunter. But uh, he could yeah. have easily been shot. But back to the Bennington Triangle, there's the, you know, that famous encounter with the, the stagecoach. That's a good one. Yeah. And there's definitely a history of monsters being up there. Yeah. Yeah. And and um, just about anybody who's been up there will tell you that it's, the place has a, a weird feel to it. It's just, it's an uncomfortable place. And 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 um, I, I don't know to what degree people are are programmed by the stories, you know, so they hear the stories and they think, yeah, it's a scary place. And they, they go up there and then sure enough, they get scared. I I, I don't know. I think people, right. people that live around there will tell you the same thing. It's getting harder for me to get on the road and go out and like, I can't go climbing anymore. <laughs> um, and I really like to take some of these people who have had strange things happen to them up there. And I'd like to go up there with them, but I, yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm going to have to leave that to you and some of the <laughs> some of the other younger, more able-bodied people, I guess. But but do it. It's 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 worth it. And those stories, there's a bunch more of them to collect. You can be sure I haven't got them all. Yeah, I mean, you're probably sick of hearing stories. Um, 
Or maybe not. You're probably not actually. But uh, I like stories. That's why. I, I, right. I'm um, not searching for truth here. I am. I'm collecting stories. That's what I do. I'm not an investigator. I'm not a paranormal investigator. God forbid. I'm not a, not even a researcher. I just collect stories. That's what I do. Right. I uh I collected one that I haven't. I don't think he's ever said anything to anyone else about it. He was there was this guy. He was cutting evergreen you know, trees to make wreaths around Christmas time. And over his over the sound of his chainsaw, he heard someone yelling for help. And it, you know, he said it sounded like a female. She was screaming for help. So he turns his chainsaw off. He can still hear her yelling. And he kind of takes off running towards or not running, but, you know, quickly walking towards where he can hear the sound. And as he's going, it's getting further and further away until he arrives at this like swampy area and it sounds like she's in the swamp and she's screaming for help. She just stops and it's super quiet. And he says, all of a sudden it sounded like the mountain itself. Like there was a machine inside the mountain and it just burst to life. And it's, he said he was, huh. he was so scared. He's never, you know, he's never gone back. Hmm. Oh, where, where was that? You know, I think it was on Glastonbury somewhere. Yeah. It was definitely in the, he said it was in the Bennington Triangle, you know, in the area. I don't remember off the top of my head exactly where. Uh, I have it written down somewhere, but. Yeah, that's it. It's another one to add to the list for sure. Right. You know what, when, when I was, when I was in high school in Chester, there was a story about a, a UFO, UFOs landing on a hill that, geez, that might be. I'm sort of blanking on the name of it, but it might be up around Roach Road, you know that area up there. Mm -hmm. It might have been up there. I'd have to, I'd have to go back and scout it. But, but there was a pretty persistent story about UFOs landing there in Chester. Did you ever hear about that at all? No, I, I think you. I remember you mentioning something about it, just in passing to me. I, I may have. Yeah, no, I. In one of our email chats. Right, because that no, that I'm... that would be like Mount Ephraim area. Or I think it was yeah. like Fox Fox Chair Mountain or something. I don't know. Same area. Okay. Uh, yeah. Is that is that mountain sort of between Chester and Springfield? Yeah. 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 That's where that so Fox Chair or Druid Chair is supposed to be. And we lived on that road between Chester and Springfield that we called it. Springfield Road, and they called it Chester Road. And <laughs> and and I went walking me and my friend rick bates went walking up behind the family place up towards work road, road yep and that's where we found one of those those stone structures um oh, yes i've heard the of guy that. who owns it now um yeah it's i it's not easy to see now because um the the landowner in an effort to repair the thing ended up wrecking it so so it's not um it's not easy to see i can show you where it was and there's probably still some stones left there but uh i'm getting a message here on my on my screen are you getting an inter internet unstable message yeah, on it's your a screen? little little no. wonky but it anyway i i think there's probably some mysterious stuff up in there that i didn't see when i was a kid because i wasn't quite so interested in it then as i am now so Right. I grew up on, on North Bartonsville Road, yeah. right at the base of Mount Ephraim. Yeah. Mountains always, I don't know, it's all, there's always been a weird feeling 
It's almost where, like... where, where, where were you in relation? Wasn't there a covered bridge there? Yep. Yeah. Um, up past the covered bridge. Uh, I don't know if you know the Hammonds to be my grandparents. Uh, they've lived there for, for forever. It's kind of like in the middle of the road, but, uh, but yeah, so the mountain was right behind their house. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was always just felt weird. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a pretty interesting area. I I I think I'll have to leave it to you to explore it though. Somewhere up there, there's this there's this weird stone chair. Have you ever seen that? No, no, I haven't. Um, I think it's probably known among the old timers in the area, but right. Um, I I have a picture of it somewhere, and if I find the picture, and if I can remember, I'll send it to you. Is it a picture of the stone chair? Yeah. Oh wow, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't know if you wanted to go over your uh your new um Lake Monster book really quick or or not. Well, I I it, it's not available yet. Um the, the 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 first my my Vermont's creepiest classics is just came out and that was I was hoping to talk to that and you did give me a chance to mention that. So Lake Monsters is a novel and it was actually the first novel I ever wrote, and it wasn't the first book to be published. It was actually the third or fourth to be published. It was the first one I wrote, and it's the story of a guy who goes looking for the Lake Champlain monster. He, wants, he set out to prove that it's there, and that's the, the quest of the book. It's trying to, trying to find this lake monster and, and what he actually does find. So that's probably enough of a plug, I guess. I you know we can we can continue this in a second installment if you want to yeah no problem no that's fine that's great yeah um so yeah sweet thanks for coming on that was it was awesome there's you've got so many great stories uh i just love to hear them <laughs> well I get to thank sit you and listen to you talk about them all day well we could talk some more another time but i i do appreciate you having me on and i wish you the very best of luck with this podcast this is a- <laughs> This is a good way to collect local stories, too. Right. So, yeah, I've been trying. Go for it. How many episodes do you have out? Uh, this will be 31. Um, That's great. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're not all local, local stuff, but a lot of it's we've, you know, I've interviewed a lot of uh, several local people. So uh, and when, when in you, your stories, they always end up popping up somewhere. So. Are, are you just concentrating on, um, you know, the strange and peculiar, or are you doing getting into other areas as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, so we we do like, we get into like conspiracies and and we we kind of call out the, you know, the ones that are obviously fake, but some of them are fun to talk about and yeah. like mysteries, history. I think my last episode was on Captain Kidd. Okay. He's supposedly, yeah. you know, he's got treasure hidden in New England somewhere and. Yeah. Well, you know, I was going to, I'd like to be back in touch with you about one of the stories that you told me, because I'd like to include something about it in one of these books. And that is um, over in where, not Weathersfield. Man, I see, this is what happens to me when I get tired. (laughs) I, my random access recall goes all to hell. But you, there's a, a, an old inn right near a cemetery. Oh, yes. And, uh, Redding. Um, yeah, Redding. Redding. It's in Redding. Yeah. 
and you had a you had a um, a treasure Levi, store. Levi Bailey. That's the guy. Yeah, buried treasure. I wanted to talk to you about that. Not not right now, but maybe in the future. Um, yeah. You you sent me an article about it that you had written, and um, I'd like to you know with your permission dip back into that and maybe harvest a bit of the the story for my book. I'm going to do a book on treasures. Oh yeah, that'd be treasures. great. Did you know that? Um, and it, it, with full credit to you, of course, we can quote you in the story and everything. <laughs> um, did you know that there's supposedly a Templar treasure in Vermont? I did Do not. And... This is really bizarre. There's no reason to believe it at all, but it's a good story. So and there's also a Templar connection with the with with the Bowman Mansion in Cuttingsville. So. I, I'll probably be looking at both of those in my book on treasure. The whole thing about treasures is that we like to think they're out there and can be found. But my yeah. theory is they've all been found by people who just don't mention that they found them. Right. I mean, why would you, you know? <laughs> you wouldn't. You, 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 you wouldn't. And so I, 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 got, I got a feeling there's not that many treasures, but I think there are treasures um around and i think there's still some to find so but right. anyway I'll, I'll treat that in my book when i when i finally get to it <laughs> i just have to mention this really quick because we just had him yeah. on this podcast uh he's a youtuber uh his name's brad martin we had his whole crew on and uh they're they metal detect vermont and they find all these treasures and he's he's looked into several treasure stories it's pretty interesting should maybe check them out i was thinking of reaching out to him i've seen some of his his um youtubes i was thinking yeah. about reaching out to him when i when i get a little closer to putting this book together so i'll keep oh, you yeah. posted he's definitely a skeptic um just yeah. so you know but well, uh he's looked into the the degrau story and he's he believes he pretty much debunked the whole thing oh of course that exact story occurs in several towns, the exact right. same story, including yep. Chester. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's not much reason to. And the other thing is, have you ever been up there for the no, I haven't. Yeah. It's it's without a doubt some of the most inhospitable land I've ever set foot in. Um, how a bunch of guys carrying treasure could make the climb. <laughs> up that cliff to the top of that mountain to bury the treasure is just i mean it's beyond reason right and i i've been up there i've seen some of the holes where where people were digging so they, we don't know there was ever any treasure there but we do know that people have believed it enough to dig for it right so, yeah. you know the most the most captivating of all the treasure stories in my mind is the oak island thing Mm. um what the hell is that all about god that's weird right um, but anyway yeah I'm, i mean i'm a fan of oak island even though they haven't found anything it's fun to go well they find a lot of the little peasy things yeah exactly and uh but it's been so hyped for dramatic reasons that it's kind of hard to kind of hard to follow at this point but i mean that was certainly if if we if we if we can believe what the stories say, that place was pretty carefully engineered. Oh yeah, to thwart discovery. It's amazing. 
um, all, all these tubes that connect to this to the sea, so the thing will fill up with water. And stuff. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's crazy. It, it's exciting. I mean, but who knows? I'd like to believe that it's that it's some sort of pirate treasure, but yeah, yeah, I I don't know. It's a great story, and the the guy you were just talking about who debunked the DeGrau thing. Um, did, did you do a YouTube on that? I haven't seen it. Yeah, actually, him and his buddy Eddie. Uh, of course, I forget his last name. I had a problem when they came on, but uh, yeah, Brad and Eddie they they did a whole series on this DeGrau. So they went to all the different places where the treasure was supposedly oh. hidden. They went through all the history. Um, oh God, I got I miss I missed that. I I haven't I haven't been a faithful watcher. I think I gotta get back into that yeah this would have been several years ago but i think when you go to his facebook page he has it like separated and you can find it all hmm. and he actually was what talking is, what's about his, what's his facebook page uh i just know his you i don't know if he's got a facebook page actually but his youtube channel green mountain metal detecting uh-huh i better i'm gonna check into this and uh, when he was on the show, our show, he was talking about how they just created a whole nother series about a treasure that was supposedly hidden in a grave uh, that was collected by this innkeeper who had been robbing the people that were that were staying as in. And uh, that yeah, that's a, that, that's ringing the distant bell. Yeah, I got I got him here. Um, Green Mountain Metal Detecting Brad Martin. Yep, that's yeah, him. I, I got him. Okay, that's a good, yeah. So I, I I may reach out. Where do, where does he live? Do you know? Uh, Bennington. So he and he's <laughs> been all through the triangle, and he says there's nothing wrong with it. He's a he's an ex extreme skeptic. Yeah. But uh, well, he, he's he's made all sorts of videos about the all the stories, but you know who knows? I don't I don't I, know. I, I, I think I there's think think something going on there. Well, I, it's pretty interesting. Anyway, I, I won't, I won't, I won't debate him because I don't really care what he thinks. But I right. would be interested in his his treasure hunting. God, this he's done a lot of them. Oh yeah, like. he's done so much. He's got an he's he he's done some some really good work. Yeah. Well, I'll 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 see if he wants to talk to me. He might. He might not. I'm he sure he will. He's he's very nice. He's he's really nice. So. I can send him an email and tell him you're interested in talking to him about it. If it'll help or not. It'll break the ice. Right. And um, you can tell him I'm probably as skeptical as he is. But anyway, I, I it's time for me to say good night. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for doing this. And, we, you know, we can pick up. I'll be in touch shortly about that, that Reading location. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the Levi Bailey story. Yeah, yeah. Okay, man. Yeah, no, thank you for coming on. It was it was great. Not at all. My pleasure. See ya. Thank you. Bye. Well, folks, that was the great Joseph Citro. He's just, he's a wealth of knowledge. And he is, oh, man, he's just got some great stories. He writes, you know, he collects all these stories, puts them in his books. And then when he tells you the story, uh, like he, you know, some of the stories he told, he, he had wrote about in his books and it's just like, when he tells them, they're so much better. So 
we're gonna have to have him on again um to go over some more stories like i had the whole a whole nother book uh i had so many more things i wanted to talk to him about he is just he's great but yeah that definitely i'd say sounds almost canon Thank you.